0: Okay. Hi, everyone, I'm Wendy, and I am a Grateful Recovered Al-Anon. Um, I know a lot of you know I do belong to another fellowship, but in keeping the singleness of purpose, I am going to focus on my Al-Anon experience. Um, I didn't want to be an Al-Anon. I will tell you that right now. Um, my sponsor from the other fellowship said to go. And I said, but I already have a 12-step program. And she said, you need another one. <laughs> and so I went. And she was right. And I'm forever grateful for that. Um, I'd like to start off since this is our 19th anniversary. I um, I do, it makes me think of Elaine Bishop a lot. Um, when I went into Al-Anon, I don't think I would have I could have stood it if she was not in there. She was, I mean, if you want to talk about attraction rather than promotion, this woman had it. I mean, I would go in there, and I was not happy about going into Al-Anon, and she was there, and she would talk with me, and there's no way you could not want what this woman had. I mean, she was just so serene and accepting of everything, and she just really helped me a lot um, in those early years. Um I do qualify for Al Anon, and I want to talk a little bit about what Al Anon is. Um, Al Anon is for people who are affected by alcoholism and alcoholism in a friend or a loved one. And I certainly qualify for that. I think I qualify from the day I was born. But, um, what they, what happens with an Al Anon, you know, you may be wondering what step one is for the Al Anon. And what it is, is that, um, we have this, um, obsession that we have control over alcoholism in other people. And so, you know, and we will go to great lengths to try to fix them and control them. And, um, it doesn't stop there because if you've ever tried to fix an alcoholic, you know, it usually doesn't go very well. And so we tend to, that control tends to spread into every aspect of our lives. You know, it'll go to, far beyond the alcoholic and into every, you know, relationship and situation that I may come in contact with. Um, I, To give you an example, Um, I'll qualify myself. (laughs) As a little girl, even, when I was like eight or nine years old growing up, I grew up in Michigan on 40 acres, and um, we lived way out in the country and I had six cousins that lived down the road and me and my little sister, Terry would get together with these six cousins, and we would um, get together every weekend and every day during the summer and we'd all start throwing out ideas about what we were going to do that day, you know, is it going to be softball or are we going to go walking through the swamp or whatever, there's a lot of things to do, and everyone would be throwing out all, all these ideas and then they would look to me to make the decision. And it's not because I was the oldest. There was a boy and a girl who were both older than me, and it sure as heck wasn't because I was the smartest. It was just because I was the most controlling and the most and the bossiest of us. And it was just And, uh, you know, it sounds very democratic when you say that they're throwing out ideas, but I will guarantee you I was more a dictator because I did not consider what anyone else wanted to do. It always boiled down to what I wanted to do, regardless of whatever everyone else was suggesting. Um, I also, when I was uh, uh, little, my dad gave me a nickname, which kind of sums up my whole childhood, and he used to call me Worry Wart (laughs) Wendy. It applied. <laughs> Believe me, I worried about everything constantly. I, um, you know, and in and, and looking back on that, I see that that was just my matter of wanting to control everything, and it was very selfish. I was in constant fear that things were not going to go the way I wanted them to go. So even back then, my parents should have quickly put me in Al-Anon. <laughs> um, I grew up with alcoholism in my family. Um I um uh, my mother and just you know all sorts of people around me, you know it was always I didn't really know it at the time because if there wasn't in the beginning a whole bunch of chaos and you know how you might look think of an alcoholic home, but it was always underneath the surface there and there's always that feeling that something is not right in this household. And um so it's, I just really never knew, and especially as I got older, you know, and my stepfather came into the picture, and he was big time, you know, beer at the breakfast table, that type of thing, um, and lots of, you know, whiskey drinking and gun shooting at the same time in the backyard, and you can imagine the chaos. So, yeah, it got a little bit, you know, where I was like, what's going to happen today? Um I had my first opportunity to work on an alcoholic um, when I was about 16. <laughs> and that's a pretty young age to start trying to fix someone. But um, my younger sister, she, um, by the time she was, she was about a year younger than me, and by the time she was 15, she was almost a daily drinker, and she was a blackout drinker at that time. And I remember we'd have long talks in our bedroom at night, and I would sit there and reason with her and tell her, you know, and i hold up, you know, every person that we knew who had a problem with drinking, our family, you don't want to be like them, you don't want to be like them, and she's like, oh, no, I don't, and and I would, you know, and I would, you know, get these promises from her, and, and then she would go out and do it again, and then I would get mad, and I'm like, what you told me, you know, and she, um, the thing is, we didn't realize we were dealing with the disease of alcoholism, you know, something far bigger than we could ever handle, but of course, I was so used to handling everything, and I knew I could fix her, and I would spend the next 25 years trying to do that with this girl. And what I didn't realize at that time, even as a teenager, she was very scared. She didn't know what was going on, and I know I was scared for her. Um, So anyways, um, fast forward into my adulthood, and I get married, and of course I ran the show just the way I always did. You know, I got married, we had kids, I, everyone did what I said. And and if if I didn't think they could handle doing it themselves, I would do it. Um, and what happens? I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but you know, I would do everything, and then I would get mad that no one else was doing anything, even though I wouldn't let them do anything. It was just you know, no one did it good enough. And it was funny. I was thinking the other day about um, something that my husband said. My first husband. We. Um, he said he used to say, "Mom's cold. Everyone put a sweater on." And while that sounds kind of funny on the surface, in looking at that statement, I'm like, geez, that's exactly how our household was. Mom's not happy. You guys better start acting right so she will be happy. And, you know, because if I wasn't happy, no one was. And if they weren't happy, I wasn't. You know, so it was just, I mean, it, it was pretty messed up. Um, so anyways, uh, on through the years. I, I tried to fix these people and I ran the show and I kept on going. I'm going to read something a little bit out of this, um, out of the big books about, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And yes, I am reading out of the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. In our Al- Al-Anon group here, we study the book in here right out of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, when Leslie was reading the thing, it said, we recover by working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we're better to recover from anything, you know, that I have a problem with, than by the book that has the precise instructions in it. And and just in case you're thinking, oh yeah, they probably read the pages and then sit around and talk about, yep, that's my alcoholic, that's how they do it, you know, yeah, we don't. We turn everything in this book back on ourselves, and and it's um. And it applies to the Al-Anon every bit as much as, um, you know, the alcoholic. If you stop to think about it, it does say in the forward to the first edition that this um, way of living has its advantages for all, and there are over 300 other fellowships based on these 12 steps. And there... If you stop and think about it. the only thing that doesn't apply to an alanon in here is the allergy. Everything else, they're talking about how to live. They're talking about an obsession. And the obsession for an alanon is that we can control. I mean, we talk about control a lot. And like I said, it's not just the alcoholic. It spreads into every aspect of our life. Um, but on page, what do I want to look at? Oh yeah. And two, what in the uh, family afterwards? On that page, um, 122, it says, Years of living with an alcoholic is almost sure to make any child neurotic. The entire family is, to some extent, ill. Um I have a side note here. If you know someone who may qualify for Al-Anon, do not pick these two sentences out of this book and go and say that to them. I'm talking from experience here because that's exactly what I do with my sister. She grew up in the alcoholic family with me, and i read these, and she was not happy to be called neurotic or ill. I mean, because an an Al-Anon comes into an Al-Anon group, and a lot of times, I mean, I was – Told to go there, but a lot of times, and you'll hear Al Anon say this, they come in there because they're pretty much out of ideas of how to fix this um, alcoholic in their lives. And so they're like, I know, I'll go to Al Anon and they'll give me some new ideas of how to fix them. And and unfortunately, when they come in here, they're going to hear something more like this. And, And I will say something here, it's kind of interesting. And I can say it's almost kind of amusing, too, when you get new people in Al-Anon and they're ready to really tell you about what that alcoholic has done to them and blah, blah, blah. And, and we all kind of sit forward in our chairs to watch their reaction when we say something like this. We wives or whoever found that, like everybody else, we were affected Afflicted with pride, self-pity, vanity, and all the things which go to make up the self-centered person- personality. And we were not above selfishness or dishonesty. And when they, when you say that to them, they're sitting there going, what? <laughs> I'm not the sick one. And I'm not the selfish one. You did not see what this person did to me. And all that I have done for them. And that's what this is all about. We talk about, you know, we all have really good motives in trying to help these people. But, What it really, the truth of the matter is, that I found, is that my motives were all about me. If you're okay, I'm going to be okay. And my obsession is that I'm going to do everything I can to make you okay so I can be okay. Basically, my solution is you're okay. That's a pretty sorry way to live. You know, it's not, because no one's ever going to act right all the time, ever, ever. And what I'm doing is I'm playing God in someone's life, and I'm telling them I think I know how they need to act. Um, everything in this book applies so much to the Alan. on, on page uh, um, 60 at the bottom of that. It says, I'm just going to paraphrase some of this. It says, if his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great, everybody, including himself, would be pleased. And that's how I ran, I lived my whole life. If you would just do what I want you to do, you would be so much happier. And so would I. <laughs> you know, and, and that's what it's all about. And and it goes on to say that um, everybody, including up in would be pleased, life would be wonderful, in trying to make these arrangements are after maybe sometimes quite... Virtuous, He can be kind, considerate, of patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, he may be, be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But with most of us, they're likely to have varied traits. So it goes on to say, what usually happens is show doesn't come off very well. And that's usually what does happen. You know, no one's going to follow my little plans. Uh, it's kind of like on page 85 where, you know, in the... Meditation, 85, 86, it talks about how we consider our plans for the day. Well, I would get up and I would consider my plans for the day, and then I would consider your plans for the day. And I would write a script for me and how you were supposed to respond. Now, let me tell you a little. um, I have, uh, as the years go on, I, I have a son. Who, this is what really brought me to my knees in Al-Anon. It's just, um he started, you know, he was out there drinking and using drugs and, and I was doing everything. And I thought I was entitled, especially since I was his mother. And the thing is, it doesn't matter what, whether they're a child or an adult, by God, if they don't want to quit, they're not going to. And it took a long, hard time and a lot of good sponsorship to get to that point where I could back off of this kid. I put him in treatment two times. I, My every thought was how I could say the same thing 50 different ways to get him to understand. You know, and the thing is, is that if I'm sitting there talking to him and I'll say, do you want to quit? And he says, no. And I'm, How many different ways can you say that? Well, I came up with a lot of them. Surely he didn't understand what I asked him, so I have to think of a different way to phrase this. But the thing is, is that, I mean, when he said no, I would be like, oh, that's the wrong answer. You're not following your script, you know, here. So it's, you know, and the thing is, you see how, and it, it talks about countless vain attempts, and I will do this over and over and over again, and it becomes an obsession. It becomes my main purpose in life is to fix this person. And um, I also, um, you know, like I said, it spreads into everything, every other aspect of my life, into every relationship and every, I mean, I'm the person at work, you know, making $10 an hour saying that CEO has no idea what he's doing with these changes. You know, even though he has, you know, a master's and umpteen million years experience and he's turned companies around, I know best. Um, I'm also the person riding the dark van, going. Why are they taking this route? They should be taking this route, you know. And the last thing a dark driver wants to hear is some blind chick in the back of the van telling him which way to go. So, so I have a dark prayer in my big book, you know. It is, and it always ends with, "Do I have any control over this? No. Um, I have to constantly be on on alert for this." These twelve steps, um, I can't tell you what they have done for me. Um, it, if you're if you have a family member, you know, that you were struggling with, I just want you to know that you can be happy, and this is a promise in the book, you can be happy regardless of anything or anyone. You can be happy whether they're using or drinking or whatever the deal may be. You don't have to live in their misery. And that was one thing I couldn't, uh, it took a while to get a hold of, you know, a so it, um mm-hmm. Al-Anon, it really is, when you come in, it's about getting that identification going, you know, listening to other people who have dealt with that. A lot of Al-Anons truly come in, and it's like, I didn't even know I needed to be here. I just came here to be supportive of, you know, this person or that person, and then they're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and the thing is, it says it has its advantages for all, and that if. Someone is living on a spiritual basis who has an alcoholic who's practicing this per, this program. How cool is that? That you're both have you know have the, a God-centered relationship. So there's all sorts of good reasons, um, you know, to work this. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit. Uh, I'll give you a short story of something that happened with my son after many. I mean, just trying and trying. The first time, um, it talks about it in the book how our our Um, homes are battlegrounds and oh my gosh that's how it was what I didn't realize is that it wasn't necessarily the person who was drinking that was causing the problems it was my reaction you know it's like they would be fine you know my son would come home and he's like hey and I would be like I would just start in on him and let the chaos ensue it was me and um I would still remember the first time he started to say something, and I said something, and then I stopped. And he was always used to kind of us going back and forth, and then it ended up with screaming and yelling and doors slamming, and, you know, that was that. But I stopped, and there's a page in this book that talks about how we can say, you may be right. (laughs) And I did that, and he was like... He just kind of looked at me and like, has she lost her mind? I will never forget the look on his face. And as I started practicing these principles in my home, what happened was that it got calmer and more serene. And even more amazing to me is that my kids started picking up on it. And if, if I started to raise my voice, they would go, why are you raising your voice?
1: And I would be like, <laughs> you
0: know. I mean and that's the thing. It kind of the ripples out and and the thing is is that we all got used to having a calmer, happier home and we were all more willing to work towards that. Not just me, but them, just because I took the lead and started that. Um, that was cool. I'll tell you about this Thanksgiving. Um and this is just about how it is now. It's um I invited we were having Thanksgiving at my um sisters and I invited my older son over and he um and I didn't know if he would show up or not. You know, he's kind of at that stage where it's like, you know, if he comes, he, does, if he comes, if he doesn't. But um he showed up at the door and I went to the door and I opened the door and, and his eyes are about this big and he's got that, you know, smile on his face and I you know, my first thought is, Oh my god, he's wasted and um in the past here's how this would have played out. I would have said, Oh my god, what is my sister going to think? And then I would have had to drag him off to some private place and say I can't believe he showed up here like this. And I would say, how can you do this to me? Because that's what we think. They're doing it to us. We think it's all about, why are you doing this to me? And it's not about that. They have a disease. You know, It's, it's not something they control. They're not doing it to me. It's just what he's doing. And he's sick. Um. And then I would have had to go in the kitchen and make dinner with my sister and, and make all sorts of excuses for him. And, and, oh gosh, I can't believe he turned, you know, he came like that. I'm so sorry, but oh gosh, what am I going to do with this kid? And if she had said anything bad about him, then I would have immediately become defensive and start defending him, you know, cause that's what we do. We can talk about him, but no one else can. Um, and that's how that would have played out and there would have been that. That feeling that I was talking about earlier in the home of what happens in, when there's, you know, an alcoholic, or sick person in the midst. There would have just been that underlying, you know, something's not right. And I would have started that through the whole day for everyone in my family. Um, instead, I opened up the door, and he's standing there with his little eyes and that smile on his face. And I went, oh, my God, he's wasted. And um, And the thought came for just a brief moment. What's my sister going to think? And then it was gone. God did that for me. From working these 12 steps and getting connected to a power who can remove that obsession that I have any control over this person. I can just love him how he is, regardless of what he's doing. And it's not my job to be in there trying to fix him and everything and, and you know it was so cool to be able to say hi come on in give him a hug and you know he, he even put on a button up shirt it was wrinkled as all get up but that's okay you know <laughs> he's 19 and he's single so you know I'll give him that but you know and by the time we sat down to eat dinner he was even coherent enough to contribute to the conversation So, and, but the thing is is that I was just like I'm glad you're here and I truly was I was just glad that I can have a relationship with him today, regardless of what his choice is right now. And the fact of the matter is, is that I do tell him, you know, if you ever need help, I know lots of people I can hook you up with. And he knows that. He knows that. And we have a pretty good relationship. Um... I have another story. Since I have a couple more minutes, I want to tell this quick story, too. Because I talk about how it goes into other aspects of our life, how it affects everything that we do. And I was, um, my, my stepfather died uh, in November, and I had the opportunity to fly to, um, Ohio to support my mom and be there for her. The thing is, is that I had to fly <laughs> to get there, and I'm not real big about flying. I was always very fearful about that. And if you remember, I talked about when I was younger, I was always in fear of everything, always in fear of being out of control, always in fear of what was going to happen, always thinking, you know, and that was my, you know, worry weren't windy. I just, everything I had to worry about, and it was based on fear, which is selfish because it's all about me and what I wanted. Um, the thing is, is that I got on this plane, and I 10-stepped it, and I was ready to go, and I was still scared, and I got on this plane, and they took off, and again, I'll tell you about how it used to be, you know, and actually, I hadn't flown in, like, you know, since I was 21, which is, okay, (laughs) a long time ago. (laughs) Okay, it's only over 20 years ago, so anyway, I, um, so I get up there, and I'm, I'm, um, that was a long time ago, it was more than 20. <laughs> Anyways, I um, so I get on this plane, and I'm ready to go, and I, and my first thought was back then, was always, and it all started coming back to me, when we take off, I'm like, oh gosh, we're never gonna get up enough speed to make it, he's gonna try and take off, and he's not gonna have enough, um, you know, power, and we're gonna crash. Okay, that's my first thought. Then when we get in the air, and you know how they start going to the side? My thought was always, that, pilot is such an idiot. He's awkward. He's about to crash into another plane, and that's why we're going this way, because he's trying to avoid a mid-air collision, okay? Then when we're coming in for landing, i go, well, I know he's not going to put the wheels down, and then i hear the plunk, and I'd be like, you know what? They're not locked in place. We're going <laughs> to land, and those wheels are going to pop right back up into the plane, and we're all going to die. And the thing is, is that this was my thoughts about the whole thing. I had everything figured out. I had never learned how to fly. I'd never been in a cockpit. I know nothing about any of this, but I knew exactly what he was doing wrong and how he was going to kill us all. But the thing is, is this time we got up, and I was okay with it. We got up in the air. And that thought came into my head when we started to bank, ah, we're going to crash. And then it was immediately replaced by, oh, he's getting on course. That pilot knows what he's doing. It's not all the time I get opportunities that clear to me about how this Al-Anon program has worked to me, where I have been able to let go of that control of every single situation. Just because I wasn't up there flying the plane, which I always thought I should have been, you know, the thing is is that I realized that that's what that fear was all based on. It was all based on me not being in control of the situation, a situation I had no business being in control of. And the flight was amazing. I actually was having fun, you know, after I'd realized that. And you know, I, I prayed before I got in that plane and God showed me this. And, and I prayed for the pilot and the staff. That never hurts, you know. And so, but it was, you know, but it was just so amazing to me that, that I could look at this and say, This is really an amazing way to live. I could actually enjoy this experience, and that has happened all through in every aspect of my life. I can let people do what they need to do, and I can stay out of their way. Um, I struggle with it still, and that's why I have a sponsor. (laughs) I have two sponsors, and they both agree I need both of them, and I need one program does not work without the other. I can guarantee you that. I absolutely need this. And, um, I, I invite any family members or anyone who, um, from anywhere, if you qualify and you are affected by the disease of alcoholism, come, come study with us. You know, we, we study right out of this book and, um, it's an amazing way to live. And I thank you all so much for listening.